electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami, technology permitting, will join us in just moments. Tonight on Fast, it is time to nibble on big tech. That's the bold call from BTIG's Julian Emanuel, where he is finding the next big opportunity in this recent tech break. Plus, retail rocking. Names like Macy's, Nordstrom, The Gap in rally mode. Find out if you should go shopping in some of these names. And later, hot stocks blazing higher. What one state governor said about legalization that lit a big spark under this trade. But we start off with an all clear for airline stocks. United, American, JetBlue taking off to the tune of 5% or more today with United seeing its best day since November. The rally coming on the heels of this milestone. Daily air passenger traffic crossing at the 1.3 million mark over the weekend. That's the highest level in a year so. Is this uh, the all board with these stocks? Tim, you've been uh, in these stocks for a while, sticking by them? Yeah. Well, look, I think until we get into Memorial Day, and in other words, the traffic is going to continue to increase as the as the vaccines are also brought through. And I I just think with airlines, uh, the multiples aren't attractive, especially on a relative, excuse me, on an enterprise value basis, because a lot of them are have a lot more debt on their balance sheets. But uh, I I think they're going to overshoot. And I think the pent up dynamic, especially for the traders out there, says the valuations aren't going to be terribly interesting on a relative basis to where they were pre COVID. Uh, But just, you know, you heard this week that Digital bookings out 60 days are within 3% of where they were in 2019. And and when you look at also just some of the other numbers that they're getting in terms of digital bookings overall, um, you know, this week was a very exciting week for airlines to see that kind of demand. Can you stay in the trade? Well, look, um, United's up 55% since since Feb 1, uh, American as well, Delta 35%. I think you've had a great, great run, but I think you can time this um, into, again, I think you sell airlines when they get back to peak capacity. Uh, and that'll probably be sometime after Memorial Day. Karen, Tim mentioned enterprise value, and that's something that uh, has really concerned you. I mean, you were one time, a one-time investor in these mm-hmm. airline stocks. Right. So the enterprise value is now greater than it was, you know, let's just pick, I don't know, for Delta, or several of them, greater than it was at December of 2019. So that just seems ridiculous to me in evaluation, because when you think about it, as Tim mentioned, the debt's much higher. So even if everything goes back to the, exactly the way it was, they still have a boatload of debt that they need to service, right? So those interest payments aren't free. So the business is hampered. I mean, to me, they're, they're you know, flying on fumes. But I've said that for a while. I just feel like it's, you know, this is the rumor before the news of, oh, wow, these, are, these businesses, it's going to take a while for them to be really, really profitable again. So I, I've missed the run, but I'm absolutely not going to jump in right here. I think that uh, I think they're overvalued. Even if you think about a return, even if you think about a, a, them approaching break even, getting to break even, still overvalued. Yeah, uh, BK, I mean, I guess you can see the immediate, which is the spark in, in leisure demand. But the sort of longer term question mark is whether business demand will actually return to whatever fraction uh, it was pre-pandemic. 
Yeah, right. And and not only just you know domestic business demand, but that international business demand. So, you know, Karen and Tim talked about the fact that the you know, 2019 levels are where these uh, stocks are trading in terms of enterprise value. I mean, think about it. Do you really think that international travel and all that even cross-country business travel is going to get back to those levels anytime soon? I don't think so. I think some of that travel is permanently impaired. So what does that mean for the stocks if you're in them right now? I think you can ride this kind of wave up here, but I, I agree. You know, As we get further into this, this is the news that's coming out. So you want to sell the news, you want to take your profits, and then you probably have a bit of a winter coming for airline stocks until we figure out what the, uh, you know, what the new reality is here. Tim, you mentioned selling at peak capacity. So what is in your, I mean, is peak capacity pre-pandemic level? So once airlines stop restricting middle seats, for instance, and, and things go back to normal, yeah. what, what sort of metrics are you looking at? Well, I, first of all, if you some of the metrics that I have been reading is that airlines are, are capacity is down about 25 and a half percent overall domestic down about 27. If you go around the world, Pacific's down 65 percent, Latin America, not as bad. Um, but but I, I think right now the, the pricing dynamics are ultimately going to be in the airlines favor. And, and I think right now there's actually going to be some. Uh, you know, call it discipline in terms of capacity, and there's going to be a limit. Um, but I, I, I just think from from where you trade these stocks, when you start to to get into the sense of of really, uh, hey, traffic is back in mass, at least on leisure. This is what we're all talking about. We're, we're none of us are sure what's going to happen with business travel. Um, I, I, you know, that's the time. But again, I, look, this trade is going to have to overshoot to the upside, in, much in the way it did to the downside. And therefore, I think for investors that are looking to play, uh, look, higher margin is going to continue to be the, 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 you know, the greater levered players. And unfortunately, I wouldn't be grabbing for an American here if I was looking at the big three. Uh, I'd rather stay with Delta. But I think that's the trade. And I think the trade is ultimately, again, to, to get to, back to a place where you begin to have normalized, at least on the leisure side. That's when you start selling. And I think that, that, I think that happens in two months. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Kevin O'Leary today of Oshares ETFs on the uh, halftime report when I was filling in for Scott, Karen. And he, said, he mentioned the debt and the piles of debt. And they're never going to be able to pay off this debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At what point should investors actually be concerned about that debt if the airline can actually continue to service it? Well, I, th I think that should have happened already. But, uh, I, I, you know, I guess if they get to cash flow break even, they bought some time then. And uh, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they can refi somewhat lower than what they've had to pay. You know, in the height of the, the pandemic, they had to pay a lot of money to, to raise debt. Uh, maybe they can refi lower. So I think they have some time. But this, this enterprise value, this is well beyond a trading as an option. This is right. This is I, I, I sort of I don't get why the I mean, why there's more to run. I don't really get that. Is it that just the numbers will improve in terms of passengers? But the valuation, I don't get how that will improve. I, it could levitate, of course, but I don't get how that improves. All right. Well, let's bring in Phil LeBeau. And Phil has been speaking to a number of the airline CEOs throughout the day. And, and Phil, they sound pretty optimistic, but they don't sound like they're being they're willing to be pinned down in terms of break even forecasts at this point. No, they're still being a little bit cautious on that front, Melissa. And we'll talk about break even in a little bit. But you showed basically what airline passenger uh, metrics have looked like compared to a year ago or two years ago, 29 or 
a year ago. I'm getting all my years mixed up. And, and in terms of how much it fell off and it came back, keep this in mind, that for the airline CEOs, this is the first time that they truly see light at the end of the tunnel, that they believe you will see more people consistently coming back and taking trips somewhere. Here's Robin Hayes and Ted Christie from Spirit a little earlier today. We've uh, seen a significant uh, increase in uh, people booking um, over the last few weeks, uh, both March and also into the uh, spring and summer. We are definitely seeing uh, signs of the recovery, uh, increases heading into the spring break period here in bookings, and more importantly, definitely seeing a change in sentiment in the traveler um, as, we, um, as we survey those people and the, the amount of search activity uh, around possible travel heading into the summer. Okay, so there's no debate at all that people want to get back out. There is pent-up demand. I want to take a trip. Everybody wants to take a trip. The question for the airlines and for investors, and Karen hit on this earlier, is what are you going to see in terms of when these guys get back to break even? And the guidance here is it's a little, I wouldn't call it vague, but nobody wants to say specifically with the exception of United saying today, look, we think that we're going to get to core positive cash growth this month. Delta says that it expects to get to break even sometime this spring. And then you have American. When we talked to Doug Parker earlier today, he wouldn't give anything more specific than to say, look, the second half of this year. Speaking of Doug Parker, here he is talking on uh, CNBC earlier today about where the company's balance sheet is at and all of that debt that they've racked up over the last year. We certainly have more than enough liquidity now to get through anything as we, as we return to profitability. What you'll see happen in America is a natural delevering. And to the extent we think it makes sense, you know, we'll make sure we do that even quicker. So they say they will delever. This is one of many questions that will be uh, first and foremost on the minds of a lot of analysts and investors over the next, let's say, nine months. Okay, you've gone through the worst. What happens now gets straight to the point that Karen was making uh, about the debt and all of the debt, not just American, but all of the airlines have uh, accrued over the last year. We are going to be talking with Scott Kirby tomorrow morning in a CNBC exclusive interview on Squawk Box. You do not want to miss what he has to say. I'm particularly interested in what he said today at the J.P. Morgan conference where he said, look, we're going to get to core positive cash growth this month. And then, you know, they've taken a number of steps, Melissa, to position the airline post-pandemic, when yeah. it gets back to a more normal environment. We'll hear what he has to say about the steps they've taken and his outlook, let's say, for the rest of 2021. In terms of all these forecasts, even if they are vague forecasts, Phil, are these predicated on just the on, on their clarity in the U.S. business, or does it also assume some, some assumptions about the European market? I'm just asking because of the increased lockdowns we've seen in Europe, and if that could actually throw a wrench into any of these forecasts. No, I don't think they're assuming much for Europe or yeah. Asia. Okay. I really don't. I think that this is predicated on this is what we can see and what we can count on to an extent here domestically. Whatever comes from Europe, let's say Europe, miraculously, you see the, the COVID levels drop and they open up, let's say, midsummer, end of summer. That's I wouldn't call it gravy, but that would be very welcome for the airlines. They're not counting on it, though. All right, Phil. Thanks. Good to see you. Phil LeBeau you you in Chicago. Brian Kelly, how do you how do you think about that debt load for the airlines as an investor? I mean, listen, in, in normal times, it should matter, but we're not in normal times. I think there's a couple of reasons why investors are just completely dismissing it. 
you know, number one, if you think about why did they take that debt on, they took that debt on because of the pandemic. And not only that, we have a Federal Reserve who's buying corporate debt. So do you really think that the government is going to let these corporations, these airlines go under when they're such an essential business because they took on debt to get through a pandemic? I don't think so. I think the Fed will just buy their debt and they'll be fine. Secondarily, let's talk about the inflation trade. You know, inflation is actually good for those people who have a lot of debt. So if you're betting that the reopening is going to create inflation, then you care less about the debt on a balance sheet than you would in another environment. So that's why I think investors are ignoring it. You know, these type of things take a long time to play out. And when debt does become a concern, it goes quick. It goes real fast. And your equity goes to zero in a hurry. But for now, the trade is all about, is the the country going to reopen faster than we anticipated. And I think that's what the equity prices are reflecting right now. Guy Dami joins us now. I think he's good. <laughs> Guy, are you there? How are you feeling about the airlines right now? Valuations. See that? I was faking that you couldn't hear me. First of all, uh, the soothsayer <laughs> Julius Caesar was spot on. He was talking about my padcaster clearly when he talked about beware the Ides of March. Because we've been doing this a year now. It's the first time this has happened. First time! Number one. Number two, Mel, quickly, they, there's this saying, something springs eternal. What is that that springs eternal? What hope? is that thing? Can you help is me out hope? here, Mel? Hope. Exactly. Hope. And it's funny you mentioned hope, hope, Mel. Thanks for bringing that word up because the E in hope, as you remember, was Expedia. And although, you know, I thought the airlines were expensive like Karen for a while. Good for Tim, by the way. The way that I thought you played it was through names like Bookings and Expedia. And Expedia today made an all-time high. And we're significantly higher than the previous all-time high from July of 2000. I think that's the way to play. No, by the way, another way was this Spirit Aerospace that we talked about in the fall. And if you look at that very quietly, a new 52-week high today, and that's probably going to push up to levels we saw in February of last year. So if you don't like the airlines, there have been ways to play it. And by the way, I think both those trades still work. All right. Our next guest says Memorial Day weekend is the real moment of truth for the airlines. Let's bring in Helene Becker, senior airlines analyst at Cowan. Helene, good to see you. Why Memorial Day? That seems awfully close. Yep, it is. Hi, Melissa. Thanks again for having me. Um, Yeah, I think that what you and the team have been talking about this afternoon is exactly what we're seeing. Um, We think we're we're getting a spring break, which we kind of thought we'd have somewhere between 1.1 and 1.3 million people traveling per day between now and Memorial Day weekend. And then Memorial Day weekend, we would see that increase closer to one and a half million to 1.6 million. I don't think we get back to two and a half million people a day where we were two years ago because you don't have international, um, excluding Mexico, Caribbean, where you do actually have fairly strong traffic. Um, international is down 95%. If you add in the Mexico and Caribbean, you're only down 65%. So there are clearly people willing to travel there. Um, the Americas in general are recovering faster. And then um, I think that business travel, that's not coming back until everybody kind of get, you know, gets back into their offices. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing differing times between you know May and September, October, November timeframe. Um, go ahead. So, I'm sorry. So, so on that note, though, um, how do you think about valuations and, and where airline stocks are valued right now in the context of business travel not coming back and you're not expecting business travel to come back for maybe another year or so? D- does the return of business travel mean that valuations go higher? Or are we fully reflecting that right now at current levels? Yeah. So here's how I think about that. Um, we're back to pre-pandemic levels on a lot of these stocks. 
and it makes it really hard to be an aggressive buyer um, with new money in an environment where you're starting to discount 2023 earnings. And I have a real problem with that. Um, we're pretty optimistic on the fundamental story. It's the numbers that give me heartache because to your point, if we don't think we're getting business travel back before the fourth quarter, and that's the start of business traffic, and then it you know, goes through 2022, um, that means fares are going to stay you know, somewhere between here and maybe up 10 or 15%. And it depends where you're going. I know people will say that they have $70 fares or $69 fares, but I was, I'm going to Florida next week, actually. <laughs> and when I went online yesterday, there was a $1,000 fare. And I said, okay, let's figure something different out. And I managed to get it. You know, I moved where I was flying into and, and got it cheaper. But yeah, fares, fares haven't come down that much in places like Florida, Mexico, the Caribbean. Um, where people want to go. It's fairs where people don't want to go that are really low. <laughs> hey, Helene, it's BK. <laughs> so I've, I'm curious about that. If, if I want to put together a portfolio of airline stocks that are leisure travel, uh, that have some pricing power, as you're talking about, to destinations people want to go to, um, you know, what are the top three in your coverage list that would accomplish that? Yeah, I think Spirit, Allegiant, and, and JetBlue, the three, um, you know, most leisure-oriented airlines, um, those would, would be my top three picks. I guess I'd put Southwest in there, but BK, that stock is back to like 60-something, and that's pre-pandemic, and they haven't even begun to recover yet. So I'm not sure that would be my top pick, you know, but if you're, you're a balance sheet person, they've got a Fortress balance sheet and lots of good, you know, metrics in that regard. Um, but it wouldn't be my top pick. Last quick question, Helene, if you can. Um, a lot of passengers had booked flights during the pandemic and had the ability to cancel those flights and retain a credit on the airlines. How should we think about that credit working through the system? And, you know, as we see this rush of travel, how many people are actually charging their credit card anew for a flight as opposed to using credit that they paid for in the past year? Yeah, I think it's about um, two-thirds, one-third. So two-thirds charging new and one-third using, you know, working through credits. Um, some of the credits have disappeared. Uh, in some cases, you know, airlines refunded the cash. But I think that, and, and in some cases, people had trips planned and they want to use that credit for that trip that they're going to reschedule. Um, because not every airline will give you the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have an $1,800 credit and you're buying an $800 ticket, in some cases, you lose the other $1,000. So then you charge your credit card anew. So it's like two-thirds, one-third is the answer. Okay. Helene, thank you. Always great to speak with you. Helene Becker. Thanks for having me. Of Cowan. Uh, Tim Seymour, some of these numbers cause this airline analyst heartache. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. I, I think she's, you know, this is what she does. She's, she's looking at the numbers. She's, you know, they don't add up uh, to airlines that are now, you know, if you look at the stocks, first of all, relative to pre-pandemic, they're, they're probably at, at 90% of, of those prices. Delta around 52, 50 to 54 um, has, I think, some pretty serious resistance. So um, it, it's not surprising to hear the, the analysts making a call that is, is focusing on, on where some of these markets don't return 
where some of these enterprise values uh, make it for a different calculation, um, discount rates. But 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 again, I, I think you have a you have a trade here. And, and look, airlines have always been some of the great trading stocks, even before mm-hmm. the pandemic. I, I think Delta, again, is a stock that I've, I've traded, but also invested in and had largely uh, a position in for the last five years. It, it's given you about eight periods of, of 25 or more percent uh, drawdown or, or moves higher. And I think you're going to get that, I, I think. Uh, but I don't think that that's tomorrow. And, and I think, again, the overshoot to the upside is everything you should expect uh, and we haven't heard that kind of enthusiasm. It's when the airlines tell you we're, we're, we're back to business. And even on the leisure side, we're at 100 percent. We're excited. We're adding capacity. That's the time to sell it. All right. Coming up, it's time to start nibbling on big tech. BTIG's Julian Emanuel tells us why he is feeling bullish on the space. He'll join us ahead. Plus, Bitcoin going bonkers, the cryptocurrency hitting a new all-time high over the weekend before pulling back today. So where does it go from here? We'll bring you the trade. But first... Check out this move in Eli Lilly, the stock seeing its biggest drop in over a year. We'll tell you what happened when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Eli Lilly taking a nosedive following more than 9% today. Highly anticipated data on the company's Alzheimer's drug falling short of expectations. While the treatment did slow progress of the rare of the disease, analysts on Mizuho called the results solid, not stunning. It was Eli Lilly's worst day in about a year. So uh, let's trade this one. Guy Adami joins us on the phone. His padcaster, as they call it, is uh, glitchy still. But Guy, I want to get your thoughts on Lilly. Yeah, well, Thursday, I just basically told you how Eli Lilly was best in class, and then today happened, so obviously wasn't expecting this. But as everybody knows, Alzheimer's is sort of the holy grail in the space, and, you know, everybody that's sort of taken a shot at it has effectively failed. 
So this shouldn't come as a big surprise, although clearly in terms of the stock, it has. I think you buy it again here at this sort of 180 level or so and look for the bounce back. I happen to think it's a one two-day event max, and I still think Lily's best in class, but obviously I didn't see this one coming, Mel. Uh, the city analyst made an interesting observation, and in, in, that person said that, that it falls short, the study results fall short of very positive management commentary on what the results would be. So it almost sounds like they just sort of mismanaged expectations on this one. Um, Tim, but let's say let's say this Alzheimer's drug does not get FDA approval because a lot of analysts like J.P. Morgan are saying that it really reduces the chances of it being approved. Um, is this still interesting, Lily? Uh, by the way, I mean, Guy, the talking Ides of March and that he was he was <laughs> through it. Um, I mean, he set himself back into the penalty box right there. But a, a great a great phone in. Um, and and I, I think. You've got a case. You just said exactly that. I mean, the bar has been reset here, and, and maybe it was set too high. Um, but the reason why Lilly had been outperforming, and I don't think it was necessarily just jawboning uh, Alzheimer's higher. I, I think it's, it's best in class, and I think it's best in class in terms of a pipeline that, that is you know, at least defendable and, and offers you know, mid-single digits growth. So um, I, I actually think this is one you buy. So I think Guy was right. Uh, that that actually, you know, this is the name that you want to own. I, I think this is the name you want to own. I think Pfizer is the name you want to own. And I think I think actually mega cap pharma um, is a pretty safe place here based upon valuations that I think are OK. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. It's been a brutal month for big tech. But one top analyst says it may be time to start taking a nibble on these names. We'll tell you where else he's seeing big opportunities. And later... Another breakthrough for Bitcoin. What the boom in the world's most popular crypto means for valuations across the industry. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another record day on Wall Street. The Dow and S&P closing at new highs, while the Nasdaq gained almost a percent. The index is still down 4.5% over the past month, but our next guest says it's safe to start nibbling on some beaten-down tech names. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, great to see you. Nibbling on what kind of tech? Well, so the first thing we have to understand is, long-term, we think this value-over-growth trade is going to continue. So what you have to do is be selective about nibbling on tech. If you go back to September, uh, when a lot of, call it FANG, really has started going sideways, to us, what happens, the setup the last several weeks, is yields, which had sort of skyrocketed and really caused the NASDAQ underperformance looking out the last six or seven weeks, started to moderate. Essentially, we've been at 160 on the 10-year for the better part of three weeks. So to us, that means the household names, FANG, a large part of that, the names that the public understands and is happy to put away for five to 10 years are where we want to be. 
Julian, it's Karen. Thanks. Um, your music to my ears, what you're saying. I'm long Facebook, long Google. Do you think, though, that if we see rates continue to go higher, that um, that will work against this trade? I know they're cheaper than some super high flyers, but will the multiples come in? So I think part of the issue of, the, of these last number of weeks, Karen, is not so much rates actually going higher, but the speed of that. And from our point of view, you go back a couple Thursdays ago, you had that really poor seven-year bond auction that essentially turned yields. Actually, they went spiked higher, then turned lower. You've been going sideways since then. We're okay with yields going higher. In fact, we think they do over the course of the year, as long as it happens in a gradual pace. And we think, uh, you know, among other things, Chair Powell will try to make sure that the market understands that gradual is better. Hey, Julian, it's Brian Kelly, BK here. I'm curious about, you know, we do, you mentioned Chair Powell. We have uh, Chair Powell talking on Wednesday. Uh, a lot of people have talked about some kind of a yield curve control or capping interest rates if they go too high. How do you think the tech names perform in an environment where interest rates are, let's call them, let's call them capped or a soft capped or something like that? Well, we don't think he's going to be too aggressive about that kind of cap, because if you think about it, uh, it is really the one area of fixed income that isn't being incredibly influenced. Obviously, the short end is being kept low uh, for a number of reasons. The corporate bond market has the bid. Uh, but longer dated yields are rising as a reflection of the strengthening economy, which psychologically the Fed chair is happy to see. Now, if there were to be some sort of cap, again, which we don't think there will be, that would be net net better for big tech. But again, to us, the big picture is the economy is strengthening. These are very secular earnings growers, the speculative public, and we know the speculative public is a large part of why stocks have been going up these last number of months, can get behind these names, and that's where we think things are headed. How much more appreciation could we see in financials, which is uh, an overweight of yours? Well, uh, Melissa, the, the long-term picture for financials is very compelling. If you think about it, you look at the last three or four months, and financials have clearly outperformed. But when, when you step back and you think about their weighting in the S&P 500, they're still just coming off the lows that we saw in the financial crisis. And that's less a function of the earnings power of financials and more a function of investors' preferences being uh, for large cap tech for the most part and growth stocks, which again, uh, we think is going to ebb, but financials in general are going to lead the market higher. Uh, you know, there's there could be 10, 20 percent upside in financials looking at the next six to 12 months. All right. Julian, good to see you. Thanks. Julian Thank Emanuel you. of BTIG. Um, in terms of this notion of, of Brian, I, I think it was interesting that you mentioned BK, that is um, this notion of soft cap or capping or whatever. And Julian had said something to the effect of, um, you know, if, if Jerome Powell can convey to the markets that a slower ascent of, of yields is better, he doesn't he can't really do anything. I mean, if he's not going to soft cap in any way, all that's just talk. It's I mean, look what the markets have done. I don't know yeah. if going if this ascent was slow or fast, felt kind of fast to me as a layperson in this. <laughs>
Yeah, listen, and it, and it was fast in the market's eyes, too, because we had this sell-off. But what's interesting is it was about two weeks ago with the jobs number. You know, all of a sudden, the equity market on that jobs number stopped caring about interest rates. So for now, I think we're okay. Jerome Powell does not have a great track record of calming the market down on his first try. It usually takes two or three. So there's always a risk on Wednesday that he says something that riles the market. But I think... You know, if you have stabilized interest rates somewhere around this this level, uh, then that is pretty good for equities, barring some kind of major inflation event. But that's that's not what investors are worried about today. Tim, you think Jerome Powell threads the needle? Threading the needle is so hard to do. Uh, and and I, I Brian brings up a great point looking at his past track record on the first kind of pass, not so good. But but I, I think it's really just about managing expectations of which slowly this is, is where we now are. And also a, an understanding that the Fed uh, not only is probably impotent to do a whole lot outside of of Operation Twist and whatnot to the long end, but that they're probably going to sit very, very tight, and that good news is good news in terms of the economy, but that, you know, ultimately get back to the parts of the market that are really working. Remember, it, it's absolutely transports, it's absolutely industrials and banks, and I, and I think you're feeding into that story here. So um, as much as I actually don't think mega cap tech is dead, and that an eight-month consolidation in Amazon share price and in Microsoft share prices are things that I think you want to buy, um, I think the strength that we've seen in the markets is not something I would fade. All right, coming up, we're trading the retail rebound. A handful of beaten down stocks seen some pretty impressive moves over the past month. Should you buy into this retail rally? But first, is the Big Apple going green? And the comments that got pot stocks lighting up in a big way today. All that and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the pot stocks lighting up today as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says officials are close to a deal on legalizing recreational marijuana. The comments come a few months after neighboring New Jersey legalized recreational pot use. Tim, this could be big. New York would be an enormous market. It's, it's going to be huge. And, and the whole East Coast is obviously going to go. And, and look, the, the story here is that Cuomo, maybe now more than ever, uh, needs to come to the table and have a compromise on a bill that's very popular. It's been complicated. It's going to be a reform uh, compromise bill. But getting this in place before the April 1 budget is, is what this news is about. Look, I think uh, for cannabis investors, the three things you're following right now are, are the macro, and that would be the state-by-state state, uh, you know, onboarding, which it continues to be an incredible story. Even very conservative states are coming on. Safe Act and other legislation, I would call that the politics, and there may be some very big capital markets progress here that would bring in a whole new wave of investors. And then we have, we have earnings. So the bottom up, I mean, GTI reports in a couple days, CureLeaf last week, some of the biggest names in the sector reporting great numbers. And, and, you know, there have been a sell-off. So, so the good news for investors here is uh, I think you've got kind of these three vectors working after a sell-off, and it makes it for a pretty exciting time yet again in cannabis. Which operators are most exposed specifically to the New York market, Tim, and how much is already reflected in share price, if, if anything? Cresco Labs, GTI, Cureleaf are, are really the ones that have the most exposure. But honestly, New York's wide open. And, and mm -hmm. it's a market that a lot of the, 
uh, I think the bigger players and even more of the regional folks have uh, kept their eye on. But in, in cannabis, it's been important to be able to eat while you dream. And, and New York's been kind of a dreamer's market for a long time. It's now a very real market. Of course, it's going to be one of the biggest markets and the most important markets in the world. Uh, and I think now is that time. So those three companies, great positioning. But I think this market is going to continue to be um, wide open. And I think the social equity issues are going to keep it very diverse. All right. Coming up, the retail trade rocking today. We'll break down the big moves and find out which names or traders are adding to their carts. But first, we've got a Bitcoin alert for you topping 60K while you were relaxing this weekend. What should you do now? Much more fast money into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Bitcoin going bananas over the weekend. The cryptocurrency topping 61,000 for the first time ever. Bitcoin pulling back today, but still up more than 90 percent this year. For more on the moves and what is next for the crypto space, let's bring in Meltem Demure's chief strategy officer at CoinShares. Meltem, always good to see you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And what an exciting three days we've had in the Bitcoin ecosystem. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure it has been for all you Bitcoin Ballers and watchers. Well, we don't. We don't get to there. sleep. We don't get to sleep, <laughs> Melissa. You get your weekends off. We were busy this weekend. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, are there any big sort of catalysts that? I mean, a lot of people were saying the stimulus passing. Okay, the stimulus passed. Are there other big catalysts to point to to bring Bitcoin to the next leg higher? Absolutely. So you bring up two um, really important points. The first is retail activity in the form of stimulus or stimmy checks going out. And um, the retail versus institutional balance has been an interesting one to watch. And the other one is really around derivatives market activity. Uh, There was a lot of activity over the last month or two. Uh, Markets are at all-time highs in terms of open interest. There was $23 billion of open interest on the Bitcoin side this weekend, all-time high, $7 billion in Ethereum. So in a lot of these markets, what we saw is a lot of leverage as people were expecting more activity around the stimulus checks, more retail trading over the weekend, which is a pattern we've seen um, since really the start of this year is a lot of activity on the weekends. And then typically Monday market open in Asia, we've seen sell-offs where uh, Asian traders are taking profit on on Mondays, which resulted in some of the the drop-off we saw early this morning. All right. Um, I'm also wondering, because I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions about GBTC, Grayskull mm-hmm. Bitcoin Trust, and, and it was a big deal or was made a big deal that it had been trading at a discount to the underlying uh, last week. And that rarely happens. It traditionally has traded at a premium. Um, what should we make of that? And, and does that have to do with the entrance of Bitcoin ETFs into the marketplace? Or, or is that premium? Is that going to be forever diminished now? That's a great question, Melissa. And honestly, it's a question we've all been asking since the Grayscale Trust launched. At the end of the day, what it comes down to, you know, at CoinShares, we have 4.5 billion in AUM on our ETP platform. Our ETPs are created and redeemed in real time. So there is no, no premium. They trade at the net asset value. But in the U.S., many of the funds and products that people are accessing, in particular um, institutions and people accessing these products through their retirement accounts, they're really buying them with the intent of holding them for a long period of time. And the challenge in the U.S. is without approval for Bitcoin ETF, we've seen the rise of these trust products. Grayscale was the first, but there's now a number of others in the market, including a Bitwise product. And of course, our friends at MicroStrategy have effectively become a Bitcoin ETF through their treasury holdings. What we are seeing, um, again, is 
investors across the board are becoming more sensitive to the fee structures on these products and some of the structural differences. And also physical Bitcoin is becoming much easier to buy and hold directly. You know, over the last year alone, there have been over a dozen platforms and institutions that have announced the launch of their own crypto trading operations, where it's really easy now for anyone to buy and hold Bitcoin, not just through a product structure, but directly with a trusted intermediary. And I think that's also contributed quite a bit to the drop off in that premium. Now, will it trade at a discount forever? I don't think so. Logically, that doesn't make sense. In an ideal world, the product would trade at NAV potentially at a 2.5% discount to account for the annual management fee. But I don't think that discount will persist for a very long time. All right, Meltem, hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Meltem Demures of Coin Chairs. I want to go to our, our own in-house master of coin. That would be Brian Kelly. Forget about <laughs> Zach Kirkhorn over at Tesla BK. What do you yeah. make of this move? And, and, you know, we were talking about GBTC and you're nodding your head. I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, is this going to be easy money if you buy when it's at that huge discount, which was, I think, 11 percent at the at the widest gap and then sell when it returns to the normal normal premium? Yeah, so I'm not sure that it's going to that, – that premium is going to diminish over mm-hmm. time you know, okay. as you have more ways to get into the market. And so, um, you know, and, and particularly if we do get an ETF <laughs> with potentially, uh, you know, a more friendly uh, uh, SEC, we may get an ETF or at least the uh, beginnings of an ETF, you know, towards Q3, Q4 of this year. And that would likely depress the premium on that GBTC. But as Malta mentioned, there are a lot of ways to get into this. You know, if you're looking for a catalyst, maybe you see some of the major brokerage firms start to onboard people. That would be a real big catalyst. Maybe get us somewhere between 70 and 90,000. Yeah. Coming up, time to go shopping and retail. We'll break down some of the big moves in the sector, find out the next what names our traders are adding to their carts. Stick around. We're fast money straight ahead. Happy birthday, Mad Money. The show celebrating its sweet 16 tonight with a jam-packed lineup, including AMD CEO Lisa Su. Be sure to catch it coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, retail red hot in today's session. Names like Macy's, Nordstrom, Gap, Kohl's, Bed Bath & Beyond, all shooting higher. Check out the moves over the past month. They've all seen double-digit percent gains. So as stimulus checks roll out, should you add some retail to your shopping cart? Karen, what do you say? Uh, well, I own some retail, so if you go home yeah. long, it's the same as adding it to your shopping cart. Those aren't the names that I have. <laughs> I have a, a reopen trade, which is TJX for sure. They really don't have much of an online business. Um, Capri on the higher end. And then, you know, I think for stimulus checks, Target, Walmart, we talked about that a lot. And then one other that I think of as retail, Lowe's, Whirlpool, names like that that are, are the beneficiary of stimulus checks as well. And I don't, they sort of out of favor on the idea that the home trade is over. I don't believe that. I've been buying Lowe's and Whirlpool. So that's kind of my retail portfolio right now. Guy is not in a box right now, but he is on the phone. I'm miserable. I'm in my own personal fast market. I mean, this has been the longest hour. I'm sure it's been, you feel that way as well every night when you're with me. But with that said, City initiated a couple of these names, Homes and Lowe's and Home Depot, I think last week. And if you look at Home Depot, it's been basically sideways since August. And I think it's ready to take the next leg higher. 
into their earnings release, I believe, on uh, May, May 18th thereabouts. I understand it's a couple months away, but I think Home Depot still works. It hasn't, obviously, for a while. But what I've said for a while, I'll continue to say, the way people spend the money still, at least until Venmo catches on, is MasterCard and Visa. And both those stocks, today notwithstanding, making all-time highs. So I think that's how you continue to play the retailers. All right, let's get to Mike Coe. Mike spotted some uh, bullish options activity in one retail name. So, Mike, what would you see? Yeah, so we were taking a look at Macy's. This is a stock that typically does trade a decent amount of options volume, averaging about 60,000 contracts a day. It more than doubled that today. Most of it was on the call side. And the most active options were the April 23 strike calls. Over 13,500 of those were trading for about 80 cents. And buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the pronounced rally that we've seen in Macy's could continue. For those things to be profitable, Macy's would need to rise about 15% or more by April expiration in a little over a month. And I would point out that a lot of the flow, like much of the flow in some of these distressed names, was sort of retail-oriented nature. It's a lot of smaller bets that are being made. The average trade size on these contracts was only six contracts, which means that the average amount of premium spent was less than $500. But when you take all of those small bets and you add them together, it can add up to be quite a lot. Yeah. Tim, what do you make of this big move in Macy's? I think for a month it's, it's up almost 30% or 30% or so. I, you know, I'm, I'm a happy Macy's shareholder. What can I tell you? I think this has been a story where there have been some technical factors. There's even been a Reddit factor, but this has been a story of digital sales surpassing, uh, redoing, and, and essentially right-sizing their footprint. Uh, you know, the valuation is still tough. Uh, but the momentum in the story is still very, very positive. I think there's a lot more good news coming. All right. You see there, Macy's up 40 percent over the past month. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Wall Street Bets is anything but monkey business. <laughs> Details of a big money call to action when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Wall Street bets crowd is setting its sights on a new target, endangered gorillas. It all started over the weekend when one Redditor posted an image of an adopted gorilla on the Wall Street bets thread using the donor name GameStop. It caught fire. Others quickly joined in posting links and donating money to the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. The fund tells us since Saturday it has received more than 2,000 new adoptions, totaling over $280,000 in donations. Guy, you know, this crowd gets a lot of criticism for being in and out of the markets, but uh, they've, they've got charity in, in their veins. No, I, I think it's genius. I'm all about charity. It's good for them. And it, listen, this should come as no surprise. And I think there's no coincidence that that guy, Mr. Peebles, sold his artwork for last week at $69 million. And of course, Mr. Peebles, remember, with McGill and Gorilla, it all makes a lot of sense now to me, Mel. I'm connecting the dots, and I'm doing it extraordinarily well here at 5.57 p.m. on a Monday. The dots are pretty far apart, but you did connect them, Guy. Uh, It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, FedEx after the close on Thursday, I think is a number you can you can own into it based upon the strength of that ground business, which continues to strengthen with fantastic margins. And I think the cyclicality of FedEx uh, under owned again. Uh, I think it's something you own. Karen Feinerman. Yes. In the hunt for value, I turned to where my friend Guy, his playground, Big Cap Pharma. Merck, interesting announcement today with Gilead for an HIV uh, drug cocktail. So I like Merck, MRK right here. BK. 
Well, if you are looking to nibble in the tech sector, I think NVIDIA looks pretty interesting after the recent sell-off. Guy. AMD. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. Stay tuned for the anniversary edition of Mad Money, which starts right now. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.